What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Matt Lee. And I'm Vince Mancini. And this is Pod, Pod Yourself a Gun, a Sopranos podcast where me and Vince go through every single episode of The Sopranos and talk about it. I thought you were going to double up with me there, Vince. Yeah, yeah, I like you... to leave you uh, guessing what I'm going to do. <laughs> you really fucking do. Um, first, just want to say right off the bat, please remember to give us five stars. I know Vince hates it when I say that, but do it. Go on the podcast app and do that. And uh, uh, also, just so you know, that $8 Patreon uh, tier, pot yourself a shout out. Well, we got a few more today so we're going to be reading those at the end of the episode thank you so much for doing that and uh that's patreon.com slash broadcast to do that all right all of that is done up top today we have a very special episode we're going to be talking about season four episode three christopher and our guest today from a very good podcast you may have heard of this is our third guest from the <laughs> chapo trap house podcast welcome everybody will Meniker. Hello, greetings. Hey, Will. Thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. I'm uh, glad you had me on for this episode. There's uh, there's a lot to talk about in it. Yeah, I we... think it's an episode that's been unfairly maligned in the uh, Sopranos fan community. So completely uh, I mean, agree. I, for, for here to me, I'm I'm here to defend uh, Michael Imperioli's writing and <laughs> the entire episode of uh, Christopher. Wow, just getting in there right off the bat. That's what they say. They say they get you you inject your opinion right away, and then you know you build on it. That's like we got a, we got a good start already. Yeah. So are you uh, are you a fan of The Sopranos? Is this a show you have watched? Oh yeah, I mean this is me. I watched I watched all of The Sopranos when it originally aired on TV, and it was like every Sunday night appointment viewing with like my whole family. It was it was family watching television, and I feel like I I grew up with The Sopranos and became like as the show came like as the show like you know matured or like throughout the seasons. I feel like I became like AJ Soprano to my <laughs> to my parents like, in front of their eyes. <laughs> Your style choices started mirroring his. You started listening yeah, to new yeah, metal absolutely. and shit. You grew up in uh, New York area, right? Too. Yeah, I grew up in New York City. So was that? Uh, did that make the Sopranos uh, like extra relevant in any way, or was it just you know, or were you just like ah, that's New Jersey? 
Yeah, it was more like that's New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it was it was sort of like yeah, the the exotic foreign location of uh, across the Hudson River, <laughs> you know, where I could sort of sort of gawp at their their simple and devious <laughs> ways. <laughs> Yeah, so you used to watch it with your family. That I mean, that's to me that is uh I, I tried watching the Sopranos with my family and they just kept yelling about the violence the whole time and eventually uh I had to I had to stop watching. Is this something uh, did, what other shows did you watch with your family? Were you guys like an HBO prestige TV family like you watched The Wire well, like, and Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was like The Sopranos was like our sort of entryway like like most of America into the world of prestige TV. I, I think yeah. like, the Sopranos is the one like HBO show that I don't I don't really remember. I think I watched The Wire with my mom actually, but I don't know if my dad ever got into it. But uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> hilariously, the other shows I can remember that were like appointment TV, that was like they were not like uh, they were like hour long dramas. Was hilariously enough, uh, The West Wing and Ally McBeal. Holy <laughs> those, shit! Those my family TV watching <laughs> people. Those people we sleep gather around on Ally the television. These days. Yeah. Yeah, no, Ally McBeal was a groundbreaking show, man. It was like a surrealist comedy uh, with the, it had the first memes were on there. They had the dancing baby all up on there. Oh God, I forgot about that. Yeah. Mambo number five. Yeah, straight up. I mean, that that was a groundbreaking show for posters, if you think about it. Thank God for them. Well, now she's married to Harrison Ford, right? Is that right? I think so. Yeah, she is. Yeah. Ugh, Gross. (laughs) Uh, which, wait, which way is that gross for who? Which one is that gross for? I think it's gross for both of them because uh, she's <laughs> sure. uh, she's very uh, meek and mild, and he seems like uh, I don't know. He's got an ear earring, you know, like mm. he's <laughs> he's got a pierced ear. I don't. I, I just don't want to. Everything about that uh, just grosses me out. But hey, you know, good for them. I'm glad they're fucking. Sure. Yeah, glad they Man, found love. That's that's pretty sick. Um, all right, let's get into today's episode. But before we start this podcast, we first must listen to the theme song. Pod. 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 Podcast. Pod. 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 Podcast. All right. Yeah. Shout out to the Alabama Three featuring Matt Lieb once again. (laughs) One day we're going to get sued. At some point, all podcasts, I think, are going to start to get like dmca claims or whatever the fuck those no way, are man. fair use that's fair use is that fair use because i I'm, added I'm pod to it, it. yeah i think so all right fair enough yeah, please don't you... sue us alabama three they're I... maoists they don't believe in suing today we are talking about from season four episode three of the sopranos christopher which premiered on september 29th 2002 uh vince Why don't you break us off a little piece of that synopsis? Columbus Day ignites tensions between Italians and Native Americans, and Bobby receives devastating news about his wife. That's right. It is uh, a very interesting episode. Before we get into it, I mean, what was happening at the time that this episode came out? I mean, we have to know. You got to know the context for your art, the cultural context. And uh, we do that by taking a little trip in the Remember When machine. 
Remember when is the lowest form of conversation. Mm. That's right. We're going back all the way to September 29th, 2002. Uh, this is an episode in which uh, Ju- Rudy Giuliani is used as the great contrast for you know negative portrayals <laughs> of Italian-Americans. Like you could either be a mobster <laughs> or you could be a great American. Like, like Rudy like fucking Rudy Giuliani. Giuliani. <laughs> Uh, and it just so happened that uh, in September 29th, 2002, Rudy Giuliani was in the midst of a book tour for his book, uh, Leadership, about his time leading the city of New York during uh, the, the September 11th attacks. And uh, somehow he found time to complete and publish a book in that uh, one-year time period. <laughs> What Just, is it? What is it with Italian American <laughs> political leaders that makes them feel like immediately publishing a book about their exploits before their fall from oh, grace? Oh, you mean there's someone else doing this? Well, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's uh, Andrew Cuomo uh, uh-huh. released a book about how he, uh, you know, defeated the pandemic. Uh, and then uh, turned out that uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people in nursing homes died, and then also he like he like fondled a bunch of his staffers or some shit. But it's I very mean, to strange. Be, to be fair to Rudy Giuliani, I mean, when he published that book and was doing the book tour for it, like nine mm-hmm. eleven was technically over. That's right. That's true. So Cuomo really <laughs> got ahead of his skis on on this one. Yeah, it was like this fucking pandemic wasn't even close to being done when he fucking put that book out there. Yeah, yeah that's Ru- very true. He did do it right in the middle of it. Whereas like nine eleven kind of just happened in a day, and we're like, ah, that, that that's done. We're done with that. But I mean, you know, like it is amazing to see the amount of like just the amount of foreshadowing. If if ever an Italian American politician ever writes another book, I'm going give it six months. This guy's gonna fall fucking apart. Uh, There's so, no yeah, and like a, the the reference to Giuliani in this episode is great. And I, I know like I'm, I I know it was done like self awarely like as a joke. Like mm-hmm. you know when the when the luncheon lady says you know like when they say John Gotti, you say Rudolph Giuliani, and everyone like all the the biddies at the church luncheon are like applauding and they love it. I mean that was obviously done as a joke, but like what, what what's so funny to think about now is like if you were writing that TV show now. Like that character saying Rudy Giuliani, like the joke wouldn't work because that character I don't think even could grasp, like could could reach that low. Like Rudy no. Giuliani is so tarnished by now that mm-hmm. like he would have to say Andrew Cuomo, which would be right. funny still. Yeah, he spent the he spent like six months just doing a Nordberg from Naked Gun, where like one day his hair was dripping and like during a press conference, <laughs> the next day he's bringing like the crazy uh, revenge porn stripper lady. Uh, to the oh, and then the uh, then the the press conference where the first speaker was the Four the, Seasons landscaping, yeah, <laughs> where the first speaker was a convicted child molester. Oh, it's just, yeah, it's incredible. Oh, I, uh, farting, farting on on. Oh my interview. god! Good. No, no, during testimony, during during actual testimony on, under oath, he just farts. I mean, that's just a testament to how good a month he was having. That I left farting on a hot mic out of the uh, out of the month that he had. Um, so I got two headlines here. Uh, this one's from the New York Times first, from September 29th. Giuliani says city was prepared on 9/11. Uh, oh, oh, really? Was it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, it they was? Got, yeah. Everyone, oh, cool. uh, a certain segment of people got phone calls right before it happened, so they were very prepared. <laughs> 
You know, uh, the funny thing with that is like uh, Giuliani's um, uh, reputation as being America's mayor is largely based on the uh, news footage of him wandering around Lower Manhattan covered in <laughs> dust, like looking up bewilderedly and just like coordinating <laughs> with his like city planners and whatnot. But they were only doing that because uh, Giuliani, during his tenure as mayor, moved New York City's emergency uh, response command center um, into the World Trade Center. Oh, that's oh. a fact. Damn, so like bonehead they, they, they move. were wandering around the streets because they literally had nowhere to go to coordinate New York City's emergency response to a disaster like this because he chose to put the command center in the World Trade Center complex. And this is, of course, after the first World Trade Center bombing in 1993. <laughs> That's a great segue for this article. Uh, Rudolph W. Giuliani, in his first detailed account of his administration's actions on 9-11, said mistakes were made at the World Trade Center, but the city was as well prepared as could reasonably be expected. Uh, he also said he believed that some firefighters, aware of the peril, died after choosing to stay in the doomed building to save others. Uh, I mean, they a lot of them died because they were sent into the building in the first right. place, <laughs> yeah. which was a complete disaster. I mean, that was a total error in judgment. I mean, I'm not going to not going to gainsay, you know, uh, looking back Monday morning quarterback this whole thing. But, you know, that is the big issue about why most of the firefighters who died on 9-11 died is because they were sent into a building as it was coming down. Right. So this this was, this came during his book tour, which mean, means that there was uh, other Giuliani, Johnny, Giuliani articles in other publications. Um, so I just wanted to contrast this uh, with the article in the Post about Rudy Giuliani's uh, book tour headline: "I'd Fry Bin Laden." Uh, Rudy bears slay wish in new book. Uh, slay wish. <laughs> <laughs> If Osama bin Laden is ever apprehended, Rudy Giuliani wants to be the one who ends the terrorist life. The, the former mayor says he made that startling request directly to President Bush just before the commander-in-chief's first emotion-filled viewing of Ground Zero three days after the September 11th terror attacks. If you catch this guy, very, bin very, Laden, very brave of him to share that, with his, you know, in circa 2002, you know, just being like, hey, just so everyone uh, knows, uh, I would like nothing more than to uh, execute Osama bin Laden. What? Did yeah. he say that? Rudy, calm down. Just a brave stand. Um, what a badass. Yeah, he's a tough guy. You can tell just by looking at him. If you catch this guy, bin Laden, I would be the one to execute him. Giuliani recalls saying, I was serious. Oh, oh, good. Okay. Good. I yeah. wasn't just bullshitting. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Uh, throughout the 396-page book, due out Tuesday, the city's 107th mayor weaves stories called from his career as a federal prosecutor, his childhood, and his eight-year reign at City Hall that ended three months after the most horrific attack on U.S. soil. From his childhood, Giuliani tells of instigating a fight with a neighborhood bully at age five to win favor from an uncle. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder Trump likes him so much. <laughs> he won plotted. Exactly, has exactly the same brain. <laughs> yeah, no, he was tough when he was five. Um, he won plaudits from his boxing-minded father and a scolding from his order-minded mother. So, mm -mm. you know, that's just a slice of uh, Giuliani, Giuliana Cana. I don't know how you could say that. It's Giuliana Cana. Yeah, that's there right. we go. Um, so the movies, top movies in the country, September 29th, 2002, uh, we had Sweet Home Alabama, mm. uh, the movie that gave us Josh Lucas, unfortunately. Um, oh, no. Was that the first Josh Lucas? I think that's the one where... I think that was what popularized 
Josh Lucas. I have like a weird reaction to Josh Lucas's voice. Well, he's only in Christian movies. <laughs> he he's like he's like he always plays a Christian guy who's just trying to you know make women better at being women and shit like that. Yeah, no, he'll play like a like a good Christian guy or a complete prick. Like those are his two. Yeah, that's true. He's like other. He's like he's like a real asshole. Like a yeah, real, yeah. Real jerk. Sweet Home Alabama gave us the uh, the baby face Josh Lucas, and that's uh, probably the reason he does Home Dep- Depot ads today. Um, <laughs> this number two movie was The Tuxedo, you know, Latter Day Jackie Chan, I think, and then uh, Oh right, yeah, and yeah, Barbershop. Yeah. Um, Hell yeah! Songs, uh, the Billboard Top 100 that was Fallen by Alicia Keys. Right, Fallen. That's her ode to uh, New York and the buildings falling down. <laughs> <laughs> right? Is, Is that, that true? That? I don't even remember it. <laughs> no, it should could be, be right. I don't know. <laughs> It's not right. <laughs> uh, and uh, th- and then the rocks, top rock song was Ariel's by my Armenian brother's System of a Down. Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's nice. a song about the planes flying into the building. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you, you know, people forget what it was like in America in 2002. And like basically everything was just still about 9-11. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, you could not escape 9-11 unless you were watching Sex and the City. You could not <laughs> escape it. Uh, like, even The Sopranos covered it. Sex and the City seems to be the one thing that just decided to ignore that 9-11 ever even happened. Uh, it just continued on, even though it would have made for a lot of great storylines. Uh, they just decided it was too sad. So, uh, yeah. Maybe they're going to tackle that in the next uh, reunion it- Reunion in the next movie? movie? Yeah, the next Sex in the City reboot that comes. They're, they're finally going to break their legendary silence on 9-11. <laughs> I hope so, dude, because, uh, you know, either that or just do a Jeffrey Epstein episode. I mean, come on. Mm. Um, all right. So those are those are the uh, Wayback Machines. That's not what we say. <laughs> that uh, was, that yeah, was the yeah. Wayback Machine. <laughs> Matt, yeah. uh, what did we have for... Uh, take us through this episode. What are some of the Bada B stories? Sure, sure. Um, just real quick, uh, here's what happens in this episode uh, in the form of... 1492 couplets that I wrote real quick right before we got on the Zoom. Uh, In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. In 2002, the Sopranos explored a culture war issue. A protest of Columbus by the First Nations has Silvio crying discrimination. Polly tells Johnny a joke that is cruel, while Janice pegs Ralphie straight up Vafangul. (laughs) Karen crashes... Uh, a car and dies. We never really met her yet. Everyone cries. AJ is reading Howard Zinn. Hesh gets into a fight with Ruben. A trial is held for Junior's case. And this episode explores identity politics used in bad faith. All right. Those <laughs> are the Bada B stories. I like to rhyme them. It's fun. So is this uh, like the most infamous um, sort of uh what would you call this like a one-off episode like a digression episode standalone it's it's a standalone for sure i mean you really don't get much uh, well, should we call this like a very was this a very special episode of the sopranos i think that yeah the alternative title is this is a very special episode of the sopranos uh this is our after school special 
in a kind of like fucking bizarro world where after school specials just tell you that uh, identity politics are bad and uh, racism uh, is is okay if uh, if everyone is being racist to everyone at the same time. Um, yeah, it, it, I didn't know that this was like a much like maligned episode of the sopranos i i had no idea until until very recently i was reading about it and people said like they hated this one which uh which i i do not understand at all i think maybe it's because like they felt it like the it was a little too broad like the 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 humor or sort of like like the, it was just a little yeah. it was a little bit wacky mm. i think and like I, I don't think people were really like feeling that but I mean, I, I mean, like I've, I've always thought this is a good episode. I mean, like because I, I think it's a very funny episode. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of like really memorable, funny lines and moments in it. But yeah. like, more than that, like this episode really does set up like a lot of things that that are very important later in the show. I mean, it, like it, it forecasts, you know, I mean, the death of Bobby's wife and also mm-hmm. like, the beginning of like the feud between Johnny Sack and, and New Jersey. Right. And yeah. And, and this this is the first episode with Piomai in it. Uh huh. That that's Pyomai right. is introduced for the first time in this episode, and you know, like it just so like yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff going on here, and if anything, I think maybe people didn't like it because this is really not a Tony episode at all. Right. Tony no. is in this episode very little. Like it, it, he really fades to the background. He's only in it for like a little bit, and then he gets that sort of monologue at the end where he's like, he he puts all the the, the <laughs> identity politics people on blast. He owns yeah. uh, he owns it's anti Italian American gets owned for believing yeah. in Columbus. Death. <laughs> I mean, I think in the context of the show, like you can look back. And you can point to all the things that it's set up. But, but I think definitely if you're watching the show in sequence and at the time it came out, you definitely get the end, to the end of this episode and you kind of think, well, that was weird. Because you're not, I mean, at this point in the show, you're not really used to like one-off uh, torn from the headlines episodes uh, of The Sopranos. And yeah. Then, yeah. And then this one comes in there and it's, you know, it's got, it does have a lot of continuity with you know later parts of the show and certain parts of uh, you know previous episodes but it does feel it does feel like the most like a departure from other things i don't know it's funny though because it's like it's the funny thing about it is like it's not really torn from the headlines like like as an issue like (laughs) people protesting columbus day like that seems to be like way more of a 90s thing i feel like they were they were reaching back to make it seem like like this was like for the people viewing it um as it aired that this would be like have some sort of like real strong resonance, and I, I think like it, it mostly just kind of came across as a joke at the expense of everyone on you know of, on every side of this issue. Right. Well, that's the funny thing is th- that it became it became more relevant because like a month after this episode aired, uh, the two Lorraine Bracco and Dominic Dominic Chianese were supposed to march in the Columbus Day Parade, and uh, the organizers sued to keep them from marching because they thought like the Sopranos was like a bad, uh, what? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they thought that they okay, were doing so, so, uh, anti-Italian discrimination. Yes. Well, they thought was that organization not- run by Dr. Melfi's husband. Yeah, <laughs> this, right. is, this is life imitating art, imitating life again. I don't know. Yeah. It's just, um, yeah, I mean, though, but no, but I mean, it's funny watching it now. It does seem very much ahead of its time in this, like, cause it has this very, uh, scabrous, uh, jaundiced vision of like how everyone outside of sort of like the dominant like Anglo American culture is just sort of like 
just just policing the territory of their their oppressions that happened to like their ancestors like centuries ago and it's like yeah it's this very like kind of very cynical look at identity identity politics like you know as voiced by like some of the worst the most racist criminal <laughs> scumbags <laughs> right i mean yeah the episode basically says that like ethnic identity is a grift like that's kind of the uh right. the driving the driving uh sentiment behind this whole thing yeah, it's hard to tell whether like this show is or this episode specifically is it's either remarkably prescient or we've been fighting the same culture war battles for the last 50 fucking years and they just keep getting recycled over and over again. Because like, you know, the Columbus Day thing, uh, I'm sure at the time they were like, oh, yeah, we you know, we we had that discourse in the 90s. But that discourse is now every every year on twitter i mean like this is very much a twitter discourse episode of yeah, the sopranos really where you're just having I, the same fucking conversation over and over again everyone's got an opinion about it and all of the opinions are uh they're just all hackneyed they're just like you're, you're just tired of it and and i think that's one of the reasons that a lot of people didn't like it because they were like the Sopranos usually does this kind of uh, like almost like a scattershot approach. They'll add a little bit of their like weird uh, Italian identity shit in other episodes and, and not dedicate an entire episode to it. Yeah. Yeah. And you see it from like you see it from so many different perspectives and angles right. in this episode. Like everybody is getting in in one way or another on, mm-hmm. on like the 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 theme of the episode and you're right like that is very much against type for like what the the usual approach to the show which is just yeah it's just like every a little bit of everything is seated over the course of the entire arc right series and like this episode just really is just about kind of about one thing but sort of like it makes it easy to sort of like uh you know pick out or right at or like or not like yeah, but I do think that, like, this is an episode that, like, if you aren't completely obsessed with holding The Sopranos to a ridiculously high standard, like, you're gonna like this episode. It's yeah. fucking, it's one of the funniest episodes. Oh, it's so uh, funny. It, it, like, it, it's, like, it has so many classic Sopranos moments in it, yeah. too. I mean, like, I just, I love, like, it's got the the classic opening of just all, all the boys hanging out in front of the pork store, just chilling out. Yes. Like, actually, in that scene... Uh, Furio actually has like the funniest like like puncturing of this stupid bubble of like you know ethnic pride and oh it's so of, uh, great so like immigrant groups in America and the way they see themselves and the way they like compete with one another over who's more discriminated against mm-hmm. where he just goes through this whole thing where he just he like to their shock and surprise he lets them know <laughs> that actual Italians. Italian Italians don't even like Christopher Columbus because actual Italians don't even think of themselves as fucking Italian. They think of themselves as from Naples or from Mm -hmm. Genoa. And he says, I don't like so much the North. They 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 have the money. They think of the streets just like peasants for many centuries. And then, of course, they're all like, oh, what are you? I got got that clip. You know what it is? It's anti-Italian discrimination. Columbus Day is a day of Italian pride. It's our holiday. And they want to take it away. Fuck them. But I never liked Columbus. In Napoli, a lot of people are not so happy for Columbus. Because he was from Genova. What's the problem with Genova? The north of Italy always have the money and the power. They punish the south since hundreds of years. Even today, they put up their nose at us like we're peasants. I hate the north. 
Take it easy. <laughs> I love it so much because like the the I love that to Furio, the true victims of Columbus were the southern Italians. Uh, yeah, like those are, yeah, exactly. those are the people he victimized the most. <laughs> I, mean, I mean the genocide was bad, but he turned their nose up at us. It punctures like, the whole thing because it's like they have this fucking debate every year about like what Columbus means to like Italian identity. And it's like when he sailed, Italy wasn't a country. There was no Italian identity. Like they, I mean, and it they, was the Spanish who sent him over there. Yeah, yeah right. It, it, Italians <laughs> kicked him out of his own fucking country. They wanted nothing to do with him because he was like a con man and had blown off like all their investments. The thing that makes drives me nuts every time they talk about Columbus, and I know this is like getting drawn into like a discourse that the show is like openly making fun of, but they always do mm-hmm. this thing where he's just like, oh, well, you know, in the context of his time, like he was fine, like. You know, he was just, he was a great man in the context of his time. It's like, they threw him in jail for being a dickhead (laughs) during his lifetime. Like, if you get, the people who did the Spanish Inquisition threw him in jail because he was such a prick. And, uh, and, and everybody acts like, oh no, you know, this is just our modern sensibilities, like saying that he's bad. Yeah, it it is like, uh, and, and didn't you say, isn't, uh, America isn't uh, Amerigo Ves- what's Amerigo the name Vespucci, of the- yeah. America Vespucci. is named after a different Italian guy. <laughs> right. Just <laughs> like we, I don't understand not celebrating him, but he's our guy. You know. He's the one thing we got. I mean, well, yeah, other than the actual name of America, but yes. Like- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man. But going back to that opening, man, that opening is fucking so fucking funny just because they're, they're all hanging out in front of the pork store doing literally nothing. Yeah, could, could not be contributing less to American society. In fact, if anything, they're badly taken away from it. And to, they're to just the saying they're gambling on people's license plates. And shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just, just tanning themselves, just being fucking just, just louts on, the, on a street corner and they're fucking so, so angry about their pride being wounded. Oh, it's so I, great. I, we have a clip of that. That's my favorite move, by the way, is that there's a guy who who's like morbidly obese, uh, you know, he's like some 350 pound dude, but uh, still so vain that he's like tanning himself with the reflector in the sun. Yeah, yeah. yeah he wouldn't want to be pale. Yeah. That, that would suck. Yeah, you know, that when you get tan, it's very slimming. Um, but uh, oh, I have a, an opening, uh, a, a clip of the opening. Mm. It's called opening scene. Oh, yeah. Well, now you tell me. Oh, Massachusetts! (laughs) Listen to this shit. The New Jersey Council of Indian Affairs has announced plans to disrupt Monday's Columbus Day Parade in Newark. To launch their protest, the Native Americans and their sympathizers plan to begin a death watch tomorrow over the Statue of Columbus in Christopher Columbus Park. Some fucking balls badmouth in America, especially now. Uh oh. You know what that sound means? That sound means it's time for our new segment, Who Did 9 11? That's uh, every time uh, they mention 9 11 in The Sopranos from here on out, we have to ask our guest, uh, Will, who did 9 11? Oh, wow. This is a. Uh, this is a bit of a hot potato, but uh, mm-hmm. I will say, in terms of the people who. You know, did 9-11, I think it is, um, you know, pretty much as the uh, 9-11 commission uh, would have you believe. I think it was a group of Saudis and Egyptians funded with <laughs> Saudi money who uh, who uh, flew those planes into the World Trade Center. But uh, everything outside of that, um, much different question. 
mm. in terms of why did the single greatest uh, breach in American national security history uh, happen when mm-hmm. like, the FBI and CIA and like all those guys had all these dudes like under surveillance and like right. had like numerous fucking memos and fucking like you know in- intelligence stating exactly what was going to happen in fall of 2001. That is a whole different. Uh, but if you're talking literally, who did it? I would. Just so say, what uh, I'm. Yeah, the guys you think you think did it. What I'm hearing is uh, Bush did 9/11. Uh, yes, he did. Okay. I, All right, moving I mean, on. I mean, let's put it this way. I have no problem with anyone saying Bush did 9-11 as a joke <laughs> or as a sincere statement of uh, political <laughs> belief or the, the evidence, historical record. Mm-hmm. I have no problem with it one way or the other. I'm, Fair I'm saying enough. I'm saying the Illuminati for the record. Yeah. Oh, well, that's the same shit. Same shit. All right, back to the story. So uh, Sill is none too pleased that uh, their heritage, uh, a.k.a. Columbus, uh, is being attacked. So you have which, you have uh, some background on on how this came to be, right? On why why yeah. Sill was not traditionally like the character in the show who took offense at uh, at slanders of Italians, right? So yeah, uh, and for me, when I you know I've seen this episode like a, a couple of times, and it never really read as off to me until again I started doing reading about this episode, and uh, this is a very sill centric episode. Well, what I found out was that uh, it was supposed to be Polly. Polly was going to be the character who was you know because he's always the one who's always talking always, about his Italian. Make more sense given like the, given the totally. characterization because like because usually like and Sill is usually never a guy who really like instigates the action of a pot of an episode either. Yeah, he's always yeah. a guy who's sort of reacting to things or sort of in the background, but he very, yeah. very rarely is a character who's sort of the engine of a plot of a given episode. Right, he's like it. Like his role is never to kind of be autonomous. His role is always to, you know, he gives counsel to Tony and he has his own opinions. But he's never, he's never taken like center stage before like this. And it's in a, in a way that you know, looking back, yeah, it would have made more sense with Polly. Yeah, I mean, he's literally supposed to be the consigliere, so he's not. He's supposed to be the, you know, the level-headed advisor. Right, guy. right. But I, I kind of think this is like a happy accident. Um, Me too. I, I like that we've added this wrinkle of Syl that he is also kind of a thin-skinned prick, and uh, and you know, and I like that he. It it almost seems like they they gave him irony poisoning in this because I think the like the whole <laughs> point of the taking offense to the Columbus thing it's supposed to be like a misdirect, like a deflection. Like traditionally, it's you know. Uh, them using it as a way to sort of distract from, you know, like whatever illegal thing uh, that they're doing. Sure, but yeah. It, it kind of feels like Sill kind of got caught up believing their own bullshit where he's yeah, actually... He actually- He's he actually pays, mad now. He pays money to the uh, Italian Anti-Defamation League, which is just... <laughs> it also brings up the fact, the, the the actual history that he said, like, you know, as friends of ours who set this all up, it was, right. it was yeah, it was Joe Colombo. It was like the New York City mob guys. Right. And I think like the 70s or early 80s. And this is um this is portrayed in The Irishman, too. Right. Yeah. anti-italian american discrimination league because they're right. like oh we're it's like we're being stereotyped as organized <laughs> criminals just because we are organized criminals <laughs> who, who murder and intimidate people it's, for a living honestly it's groundbreaking bad faith identity <laughs> politics it really is it's like they invented the telephone and they invented bad faith identity <laughs> politics i mean it's funny know? i mean like in the irishman it's basically set up that like you know crazy uh, Joey Gallo or whatever um, gets clipped because he disrespects the 
entire idea of like you know he points at the button on Pesci's like lapel and he's like you believe in this bullshit right (laughs) (laughs) I mean that's a classic American story though is coming up with a uh, coming up with a fake story and then the people closest to you end up forgetting that it was a fake story to begin with and just taking it <laughs> taking it as whole, whole cloth it, it it definitely makes more sense it being um a poly episode rather than a sill episode but i do think it was a happy accident i like that you, it gives sill a little bit more depth and whatnot and also um yeah paulie uh, the, the actor apparently injured his injured his back and so he couldn't uh he he couldn't film so they just like wrote him as someone who's in jail and uh i like that they still they used what they uh what they could from him and they made him be the snitch right who tells they johnny did. sack the joke i think it's funny like in terms of this episode being uh you know groundbreaking like i think Polly was like snitch tagging pre-Twitter in this episode. Yeah, Yeah, he totally was. At Johnny Sack. uh, (laughs) I hope you weren't too offended by joke, (laughs) by this joke by (laughs) at Ralphie Sifaretto. As long as as you brought up Ralphie, um, there's another um, very important part of this episode that I think Mm. we need to discuss, which is it features yet another of the basically history's most horrific sex scenes ever depicted on an enemy <laughs> yes. starring Janice Soprano. I don't think this one quite rises to the level of her um, dalliance with Richie April when mm-hmm. uh, during their uh, sexual role play he holds sure. a gun to her head. Uh-huh. But this one is really something as well. I mean, because it, it, it makes explicit Ralphie's sort of like uh, his, his he tops from the bottom and uh-huh. this whole sort of like pegging thing. <laughs> and I watched this episode I like again. I have, to, I have to, I must reiterate, I watched this episode with my parents. So when she's like uh, fucking him with a vibrator and just saying, and he's like, put me back on the street, baby. And she's like, your mama's little tramp, mama's little hua. <laughs> it's just, it is... Man, like yeah, like the 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 end of her and uh, Ralphie's relationship in this episode is extremely oh, funny. So their, I had a, it, their arc is perfect. So I had a question about you know the detail. So you know she's pegging him in the beginning of that scene, uh, and you hear the vibrator sound, um, and then he gets a call from Ro. Uh, and the Rocky theme plays right. uh, while he's getting fucked. <laughs> while he's getting that's fucked in the good, ass. That's such a good detail. That's it's such a, a perfect good detail. detail. It's so funny. Okay, so what I'm interested in is is uh, he gets a phone call from Ro, and Janice turns over under the covers, and the vibrator is still going on. Oh, and uh, as like my my wife pointed out, um, like her, I, I, my interpretation initially was just that she hadn't figured out how to like turn it off yet, and she pointed out like, oh no, uh, Janice is pleasuring herself with uh, the dildo or with the vibrator oh, that she no. just oh, pulled out of shit. Ralphie's no, ass. No. 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 I would just assume it was still up his ass. Yeah, I would assume that. I thought that's where we and, were going with this. This is really funny. Actually, I, I never noticed this part before before watching it uh, before um, today's episode. But like, okay, so Ro calls him on the phone and he's like, yeah, 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 I'll take care of that. Like, okay, like I'm coming now. I'm coming over. I'm coming over now. Yeah. And then like, like, and, like as he gets on the phone, uh, uh, Janice says to Ralphie of their <laughs> yeah. relationship, she says, we're so wacky. We're so <laughs> yeah, wacky. We're so <laughs> wacky. And like, that fucking killed me. Oh, Oh my God. It's such a sociopathic like <laughs> so perspective. Wack. We're so yeah. wacky. Wacky is not at all what's happening here. It's like no, that, it's terrible. It's awful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, just... it's like 
like fuck the moral implications of like cheating it's like not only are you cheating but you're you're continually fucking him in the ass <laughs> with the vibrator as he's on the phone with his girlfriend wacky is the perfect way to describe I f- it i feel We're like- so wacky and like and ralphie's so sprung for it like that i mean later in the episode there's gonna be, i think like an even I mean, not even funny. Like a really, a really terrible scene where he just dumps Roe. Yes. Like he just, he just really just like just because he's like he, and then he like because he, he has some. He's like he's like we can be free. We can be in the open. We can just. It's only sex from now on. It's like oh, it's just Ralphie is such a creep. It is just yeah. he's well and really a, a singular character. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat. Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket. Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. On, and on, on and he's show. completely mm-hmm. misinterpreted misinterpreted what yeah. Janice likes about him to begin with because he's he's yes. like oh yeah, exactly. now we can that just he's... now we can be a regular couple like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> now we can have no emotional connection whatsoever and you just fuck me in the ass and pretend you're my pimp and like she's in therapy like complaining about this very thing because yeah what she likes about him is 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 that she likes that they're they're that they're so wacky. She yeah. likes their wackiness. She likes the the sociopathic nature of mobsters in general, and like you know, breaking up with a girl yeah. to to get right with the mistress is like that's too good for her, you know. And I, I love the scene of Janice and her and her therapist where she's oh, like yeah. she's talking about this. You know, I'm not giving devils you know the full details. I would imagine, but she just goes like you know. I, I, this goes back to my family and my mother and father, and I yes. had no love and support, and I was shamed for being artistic. Yeah, <laughs> I, like I, have a, I like that the therapist in that scene is doing the same thing that the uh, 
um, the uh, what the 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 Dateline NBC guy does whenever he seems like where he seems like he's kind of getting off on people talking mm-hmm. about murder. Yes. Like Janice is like, oh, this all goes back to my mother and my father, and the therapist is like, yes, yes, yes. go on. <laughs> I actually I have a I have a clip of that. The last time that you dated a friend and colleague of your brother's, he left you flat, disappeared into the witness protection program. Which brings me back to my childhood and my mother and my father. Now we're talking. Where I had no love. Now we're talking. And no support. (laughs) And where I was shamed and ridiculed for being artistic. The hell? (laughs) I know. The work is to make new choices that have nothing to do with old patterns. I wanted Sandy. I, 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 I do. God give me the strength. She will. Oh, she will. Sorry, she, yeah. will. she will. Yeah. She will. Um, mm. also, mm. I also think that, that uh, the vibrator phone call scene, it kind of feels like it was a bit of a riff on like the Bill Clinton cigar story that would have been f- kind of fresh at the time. You think so? Yeah. Oh wait, no, he wasn't. No, he was getting a blowjob when he was getting the phone yeah. call because he couldn't have been on the phone while he was using the cigar. That'd be weird. Yeah. I mean, I'm still going with could. my theory. He's possible. It's possible he could have done that. But no, I mean, I I saw it more as just like uh, they just tried to up the ante on you know her her previous relationship with. Uh, uh fucking richie april so they were like ah let's have her you know fucking ralph in the ass and then you know and then the theme to rocky plays on the phone right also i mean like the the whole thing with her and ralphie like i mean it sets up her relationship with bobby like also yeah in this episode there's like there's like the contrast between bobby's relationship with his wife and yeah. everyone else is also really like brought into stark relief in this episode because you know the, the death of the death of karen who's like you know mm-hmm. not really much of a character but then when she dies, it's like it, Bobby really becomes more and more of a character. And like in this yeah. episode, when you see just just poor Bobby, like yeah. just, just how absolutely bereft he is by <laughs> yeah. the death of his wife and just like how how crushed he is by it. And like there's this scene at the funeral where it's like Carmela and the rest of the wives, like, you know, mm-hmm. like seeing this man like weep weep for the loss of 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 his true love mm-hmm. and like they all are just seeing like what it looks like to have a man who like actually loves his wife right. and it's, yeah. it's really it's brutal i mean like this whole thing it's a really brutal part of the show but like they talk about how like she you know uh Sil's wife says that like you know i overheard him on the phone one time and they were all making fun of him because he was the only one who didn't have a guma right just, right like, they, they all get this glimpse of like what it what it's like for like <clears throat> to be a man in this world who like it, it goes against type and by going against type it's like a guy who genuinely has like emotion and feelings for a woman at all right right uh, I there's also, only i also yeah. feel like it's funny like i think uh like bobby <laughs> bobby and georgie are always competing to be i forget the kilgore trout character from vonnegut where he invents this character whose entire purpose is just to be like tortured by the author but like bobby and georgie are always they're always it seems like they they go out of their way to uh to to write like mean shit that happens to them wait and who's georgie georgie is the 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 uh the guy who manages the bing 
who like whenever oh, Tony yeah, 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 comes yeah, in and beats yeah, him up. Yeah, and then in this yeah. episode, like <laughs> yeah. when they go to the, when they try to start a fight with the Native Americans in front of the Columbus uh, effigy, like mm-hmm. the first person who gets who gets beat up is Georgie. <laughs> That's <of course>. right. <laughs> oh man, that, that scene is so funny too because like it's cl- classic Artie Bucco moment. Uh, yes. In that scene <laughs> where like they all, they all pile, like, 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 eight, like 18 old Italian men pile out of the same station wagon like it's mm-hmm. a fucking clown car. And they yeah. show up to like the the Newark Columbus statue to like you know start some shit with the protesters. Yeah. And as soon as it pops off and like the cops get involved and bottles start getting thrown, Artie just immediately runs to the car, but not but not before getting getting hit with like a slushy. <laughs> he gets hit with <laughs> a slushy. So he's just like he's cowering in the car, like covered in like a drink or something. And it's just yeah, perfect Artie moment. Artie Artie never wins on this show. Yeah. Artie is perennially the most cucked man in existence oh yeah yeah well there's i also, mean he's there's he's another, got a lot uh, of uh oh go ahead there's another really good sight gag in that sequence where uh the old like the oldest guy like they you know they pile out of this car to go intimidate the protesters and one guy is like so old that someone else has to help him out of the car and of course <laughs> like that guy is the first one who starts yelling at the protesters he's like the first one to start talking shit yeah another yeah. little gem in that scene is it features a cameo as one of the newer cops by a uh, racist Italian comedian, Nick DiPaolo. Oh, cameo I miss that. One of the cops where he's like, still, they got a permit. And, you know, like, yeah, so that was that was Nick DiPaolo, who uh, <laughs> would not be out of place um, in any other part of this episode as well. <laughs> <laughs> he watched it like totally seriously, like just going, yeah, I also hate identity politics. These fucking blacks always complaining. <laughs> The Moulin Yacht. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that that scene, I, I, it, it's great because like uh, there's there's a moment where uh, like it, it, I, you just barely catch it. But at some point when Artie gets the slushy thrown at him, you just hear someone in the background scream down with globalization. And there's <laughs> there's something about that that's just like close to my heart because I just you remember the I don't know, I would call it like the pre 9-11 left. Um, which, you know, where anti-globalization was like a big thing. So it, it was always shoehorned into yeah, things yeah. like including this uh, protest against Columbus. I just I loved that. So, yeah, and then, like, the another overarching uh, storyline in this episode is, uh, like, the competing ethnic grievances, um, mm. which leads into the big scene uh, between Hesh and his, like, Cuban uh, horse trainer. <laughs> who, who we've never seen before. And I have to admit, there is part of me that goes, like, I love that the, uh, the stakes on this relationship don't matter it's literally just played for the jokes you know Uh what i mean because they have this fight and this fight would matter a lot more if you knew who the fuck ruben was and you know what their friendship (laughs) meant but instead they're like no 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 this is just for this is just for the jokes he's the guy just a gag he's just just, do it to set up a gag and he's the guy who we know well from stealing the armoire from kramer uh yeah And he also is the guy who said, who does not want to wear the ribbon? Isn't that, isn't <laughs> yeah, he the one? So. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, but we have a clip of, of the scene between Hesh and Ruben. This Columbus Day protest, we need somebody to make it go away. What's wrong with freedom of speech? Yeah? She didn't have my kids talking about Columbus. She calls him a thief and a murderer. Well, they wiped out almost all of my people. Cubans are from Spain. Strictly speaking, they were Taino Indians who got raped by Columbus and the conquistadors. That's right, Ruben. 
Mulan Yang got Martin Luther King Day. What do we got? I can't say I don't have any sympathy for the Red Man. Why is that? Jews, because of the history, have common cause with the oppressed. That's right. Christopher Columbus was no better than Adolf Hitler. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up. Hitler. Yeah. I'm not the only one who thinks so. You're talking out of your ass. Columbus and Hitler. You're trivializing the Holocaust. Frankly, Reuben, if you got that kind of covert anti-Semitism, I'd like you to leave my house. Anti-Semitism? That's right. Fuck you too, my man! (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's great because he starts, well, you know, Hesh points out that, uh, you know, Jews commonly take the side of the oppressed. uh, And then Reuben... Yeah, right pipes up uh that he hates columbus because he identifies with the taino indians which is mm-hmm. <laughs> another fun uh right. wrinkle in that scene and then also like his fucking the the, the whole guys of like <laughs> like the the idea that like oh we we have common cause as jews with the oppressed and then someone's like uh tries to compare their oppression and he f- goes full adl and he's just like nothing compares to the holocaust which is like there are situations in which it's like obviously a a, a bad comparison but i'm pretty sure that the genocide of native americans is up there with the holocaust like the it's idea the that conversation it's you know? in the conversation <laughs> wildly out of left field yeah <laughs> it's a, it's an insane thing to get offended about and they just played it purely for laughs which well which, he goes hey because there's also a really a- funny part there's a really funny part earlier where they're watching on tv it's like a, the montel cameo oh, where they're having yes. like a public issue show about same it. shit like, yeah. montel is agreeing with the italian guy and then like the italian guy's like when my when my ancestors came over from Sicily in the Middle Passage, and then immediately uh-huh. once again you like you step onto someone else's territory, and Montel right. is just like, "Whoa, whoa, hold on a second, buddy." That's the Middle Passage thing. refers to like the you yeah. know, Africans who were brought to the New World. Yeah, who braved the perilous Middle Passage? Whoa, to- Middle Passage. That's the term for the slave trade. Montel, the, the, the Italian people in this country also suffered discrimination. Earth to fill. We're talking three hundred years of slavery here. Yeah, and I like the Hesh thing though because he not only like he not only says that it's an unfair comparison, he immediately says like you're being anti-Semitic by even making uh, the metaphor. And covertly as well, you're not even aware of you being anti-Semitic. It's just covert. Yeah, he yeah he immediately just is like, oh, you're a racist piece of shit for making the comparison, and it's just like, uh, and it's not a. Honestly, it's not an unfair portrayal of a lot of like I think older American Zionists in general. Because Hesh is a Zionist in in the uh, in Sopranos canon. He's like uh, he's a you know they I think they said you should don't ever talk to Hesh about giving back parts of Israel, um, which is also at- funny because. Another part of Hesh's character is that he's made a lot of his money by uh, taking the publishing royalties from black musicians <laughs> in the 60s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's like, it's the perfect like distillation of kind of like, I would say an older Jewish American myth about uh, American Jews and our, um, you know, our, our love of the oppressed uh, and, you know, our our support of civil rights and whatnot, because it's like it's just this this myth that we keep dragging into any conversation that always ends with, which is why I think that black people need to calm down or which is why, you know, it's always well, like it's, ends with something it, racist. It's it's American exceptionalism. But like, like right. everybody's been in the story has been raised with this idea of American exceptionalism and they apply that to their old baggage from the old world. 
Yeah. Where it's like it's, they have these competing myths where it's like we have been oppressed, but we are also uh, exceptionally impre- uh, oppressed. Like we are the only ones who've ever uh, suffered oppression. And it lays the groundwork for justification for, for fucked up shit. And that's kind of like what this episode does mostly, which is uh, use the kind of like uh, the myth that they've created their, of their exceptional immigrant story as groundwork for why this other group of people uh, is actually bad. And uh, it's like why Indians are bad, why Cubans are bad. It's just like, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty great. But yeah, the... Uh, one thing that was mentioned in that clip was the fact that um, Tony says that his son has started talking badly about <laughs> <Another> classic, <laughs> Christopher Columbus. Absolutely classic Sopranos moment. Oh, uh, just our favorite anytime boy. Anytime AJ gets a little bit of knowledge. Anytime. It's a very dangerous <laughs> thing. It's so funny. <laughs> When he's reading from Howard's Inn and he says, with 50 men, we could subgate them. Oh, yeah. I, I, I have <laughs> <Just> a... like... <laughs> They would make fine servants. With 50 men, we could subjugate them. Subjugate? It's just one of those days! His history teacher, Mr. Cushman, is teaching your son that if Columbus was alive today, he would go on trial for crimes (laughs) against humanity like Milosevic and, you know, Europe. So you finally read a book and it's bullshit. Tony. People thought the world was flat for crying out loud. (laughs) Then he lands on an island with a bunch of naked savages on it. I mean, that took a lot of guts. You remember when we went to Florida, the heat? And those bugs. <laughs> like it took us to murder people and put them in chains. He was a victim of his time. Uh, who cares? It's what he did. Break your fucking face tonight! He discovered America is what he did. He was a brave Italian explorer. And in this house, Christopher Columbus is a hero. End of story. Come and get it! I love that because it just reminds me of those fucking signs that everybody has in LA where it's like, in this house, we believe in science. Like, I like that there's, there's an Italian version of that where it's, in this house, Christopher Columbus is a hero. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, in this house, uh, Christopher Columbus is a hero. Uh, psychiatry is a racket for the Jews. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I really like about that one is like in, in, in defending Christopher Columbus. Um, yes. To, one of Tony's justifications is like, remember how hot it was in Florida when we stayed there? <laughs> it's a very brave thing for him to do to sail all the way across the sea to somewhere where it's hot. Like that's Fucking humid as shit. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's, there's a, a moment in that same conversation where, you know, uh, where Carmela points out to to aj george washington has slaves and he goes what's your point which is just like i is is perfect it's just a perfect (laughs) moment because like there's aj i can't tell whether in that moment aj is too smart or too stupid like whether (laughs) or not he can't make that connection to go like oh so i guess it's some of our heroes are flawed or if he just looks at that and goes like no, yeah, George Washington is trash too then, I guess, which is fair enough. I, I just, uh, any scene with AJ just makes me so happy. Yeah, I is like the- that, um, you know, Michael Imperioli wrote this episode, um, mm-hmm. and I enjoy that he always writes his himself as, like, the dumbest person. Whenever, like, every uh, Michael Imperioli written episode, uh, Christopher ends up looking, like, the dumbest. And he has, uh, he really basically on- only gave himself dumb guy lines in this. Um, yeah. Like, there's, uh, like, when they talk about ha- when uh, Hesh brings up the smallpox blankets and, and, and uh, Christopher is just like, no shit? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then at the very end where Tony's trying to make and this is a very this is very also very interesting. At the very end of the episode, Tony's sort of like, you know, putting putting identity in like sort of group categorization mm-hmm. of yourself and just this kind of like, you know, petty bargaining over who's been b- victimized more hundreds of years ago whose great grandparents have been victimized more by America and mm-hmm. he goes back to like his his original thing about Gary Cooper you know whatever <laughs> happened to Gary Cooper you know <laughs> right. the strong the silent type you know and he's like mm-hmm. and if you would have been around now you would have been bitching about you know I'm from some poor Irish you know Texas background yeah. the gay cowboys or whatever <laughs> and then Christopher goes he was gay Gary Cooper was gay <laughs> right. no you idiot like I'm not he's missing the point <laughs> They discriminate against all Italians as a group when they disallow Columbus. Oh, will you fucking stop? Group. Group. Whatever the fuck happened to Gary Cooper? That's what I'd like to know. He died. I don't know. If he was a medagon around nowadays, he'd be a member of some victim's group. The fundamentalist Christians, the abused cowboys, the gays, whatever the fuck. He was gay, Gary Cooper? No! Are you listening to me? Yeah, it's it's uh he did also though write himself a little bit as the most uh open-minded to the idea that Columbus yeah. is bad, which is like almost like writing himself as woke, but I, I still I appreciate well, the fact that it's like is it is it wokeness or is he just so poorly educated that he didn't even know to be prideful about Christopher Columbus or something like that. Well, he's he's also the youngest gangster, which I think is yeah. like the important. Like maybe he's he's he's, like, he's the new generation yes. that's like doesn't hold Christopher C- Columbus to this uh, just, you know god status. It, it reminds me of like like his sort of like his his sort of ethical and political attitudes. It reminds mm-hmm. me of like the scene where he tries to uh, finagle a threesome with him, Adriana, and the FBI <laughs> yeah. agent. Yeah. And then later when he's called on it, he's like, "She's a friggin' she's a fucking dyke. What do you want from me?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She took my hand and put it on herself. She was rubbing it on herself. Like, that's uh, fantastic. Um, yeah, so I, another thing in this episode that I love is the, uh, and this is a theme throughout all of The Sopranos, is just the the way they write kind of, uh, um, the way they make fun of academics and intellectuals. Mm-hmm. And the first instance of that is with the speaker at the uh, event talking about anti-Italian American discrimination. And uh, we, we discussed that a little bit, but I, I, have a, uh, I have a clip of that. America still sees us as pizza makers and Mama Leone's. Well, it is your job, ladies, to spread the word. Our grandmothers may have been dressed in black, but we're in Moschino and Armani. Start from the bottom. For those who say Italian-Americans eat smelly cheese and sip cold wine, tell them we're from the land of aromatic Asiago and supple Barolo. So I got to point out that this is by far my least favorite part of the episode, but also uh-huh. like... Uh, people say blah 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 who the fuck says that that's what i'm saying yeah. <laughs> honestly like there there are stereotypes here that she's low-key inventing and i'm just like wait I, like if like first of all smelly cheese i do not i do not think italian american smelly cheese at the same time i'm not sure if that and, is even is that a thing and by the way like she, i thought that was a she, like she comp- if she said french i'd be like she okay. complains about uh italians being associated with smelly cheese and then she brags about of all the cheeses asiago like that's gonna be the <laughs> of all the good cheeses in italy you're gonna fucking brag about asiago like the fucking edom of italy like what the fuck 
<laughs> as a, I don't know. As a cheese lover, I'm offended by that. But it's funny because the other, like the person who came up who has story credit on mm-hmm. uh, this episode is uh, Maria Lorino, um, mm-hmm. who is uh, she worked for the Village Voice and and wrote some essays like in the Times. Um, and uh, she wrote a couple memoirs, including Were You Always Italian? Uh, and a second memoir, Old World Daughter, New World Mother. I'm sorry, but like, and- there's this, the, <laughs> this whole industry of like being like, wowed she- by Italian heritage. <laughs> she is, is so weird. She is that person speaking yes. at the luncheon. And it's so weird to me because I can't imagine, like, of all the identities to struggle with, like, the idea that people are struggling with their Italian identity is the <laughs> most ridiculous fucking thing I've ever heard. I mean, maybe it's generational. I don't know. I mean, it, it, I assume it is. Obviously, there were generations in which Italian Americans were s- systemically uh, like discriminated against, I'm sure, and weren't considered white and blah, 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 blah. But it's so many decades have passed. And also, that's been the case with so many other ethnic groups uh, for which there are and still are actual consequences for that. I'm just like, who can say with a straight face, oh boy, you know, Italian American discrimination in this country. Right. Like, to, and by the way, like, so strange. have you ever met any Italian under age 80 who feels, uh, who, who like legitimately has chafed under the idea that people uh, associate? them with the mafia like i've never met I, i've never uh, met an italian who wasn't proud of exactly. the association <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, there, there, there's another funny part at, at, at the end of the luncheon scene that's like you know i i think like you know the writers are, of the show are, are were of course you know aware because like you know when the sopranos came out there was they dealt with their own version of this of like you know people being like oh this is a stereotypical portrayal of italians as being part mm-hmm. of organized crime and it was like father um intentola is just like you know okay well let me take the devil's advocate to you i read a recent study that <laughs> yeah. says that the vast majority of people understand that these are fictional portrayals and like have no bearing on and then, mm-hmm. and then like it's the perfect like parody of the fucking like just academic like jive talk that this yeah. woman like the people like that right. come from she's just like uh well we're looking at the sample sizes right exactly yeah yeah we'll get back we're, to you on it yeah we're doing an, an investigation into that study that kind of destroys my entire career angle so right let's uh meanwhile let's not bring that up like that scene is a, is a perfect mirror of the uh, Hesh scene because just mm-hmm. as Hesh like immediately accused the Cuban guy of uh, of being anti-Semitic for even entertaining uh, the analogy, like the mm-hmm. uh, mob wives immediately go after F- Father Phil just for like having that woman uh, as a speaker who just for the sin of even bringing up the uh, the mob. Bring yeah. up John Gotti. It's not like she was like on stage railing against like them. Like she's like, I know there are people out there in this audience now. Right. We're part of this problem and looking the other way. Yeah, no, it's just like the the mere even suggestion of it. They're they're so they're like you know. Well, we've been we've been the ones who are really supporting this parish. You know, so you need to you need to think long and hard about who your friends really are. Yeah, and, and the, the indignity the- that they feel about it is so funny. Uh, yeah, especially like in the uh, like confrontation with Father uh, Phil. Um, uh, Gabby says Carmela has borne the brunt of these uh, accusations because of her husband, who is high up in the garbage industry. And it's like you were, you're literally lying to yourself yeah. and to him at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's borne the brunt of these accusations solely for making the choice to marry a mob boss and profiting off his criminal enterprise for the yeah. last thirty years. Yeah. It's so weird to find it offensive that someone is like, uh, "Hey, Italians, you know, we're more than just the mafia, you know, and and not." 
all of us are in that. And to be in the mafia and be like, fuck you, that's not true. We're all in the mafia. Like, <laughs> like I'm not even sure. No, what, they were mad for her for even bringing it up, for even like saying the name of the mafia. I of think. John Gotti, yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's beautiful because imagine it's like you say you have to you <laughs> you you live the myth so long that you're just like you're piling uh, your feelings on top of it so that she's like mad that like someone would bring up the existence of the mafia that her husband is currently in. It's uh, it's pretty great. Um, so, all right. So I I gave my shout out to my least favorite moment. Uh, can we do favorite least favorite? Sure. Um, let me see if I have a, I don't know if I have a least favorite. I, I, I think, and this is unfair because I do think this is a funny scene, but it's kind of an outlier. Um, the scene where Ralphie, uh, goes up to, um, the, the Native American guy who was, yeah, uh, Del Red Clay. Yeah. Del Red Clay. Like absolutely like sleazy Ralphie bit where he's like, I represent a group of Italians, family people. Yeah. yeah family like, people. Yeah. He's like, we're taking exception with this, um, this, um, initiative you're spearheading, no pun intended. <laughs> right. And then he does all this totally like gross Ralphie shit to the, to the young grad student. Right. She goes, like, mm, she, she goes, see, hi. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Dell's TA, and he looks at her and goes, yeah, I can see that, which is a pretty good tits and ass joke, <laughs> yeah. I got to admit. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's, he's pretty, I mean, you know, well, that's that's not bad. And it's very um, Michael Imperioli writing, is to acknowledge yeah. all of the puns in every bit of dialogue. All of the puns, yeah. Imagine, like, the cutting room floor on the puns <laughs> on most of his scripts. Holy shit. But uh, that that scene in general, kind of like the whole, like, what we're going to expose Iron Eyes Cody, like, I'm not really yeah, that sure. Yeah, that, that- it was like it was not as funny or as smart as like I mean and I guess like it does work because the whole point of it is that it doesn't matter and no one gives a shit right well, yeah like I, to, to that end I really like that conceptually because like when Tony is yelling at Silvio for why does he care about this and 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 you know like what why are you being so stupid by going to beat up like protesters and Sil goes oh well you know me and Ralphie got something in the works don't worry about it and yeah. the thing that's in the works <laughs> is like their shitty conspiracy about uh, this guy, the Iron Eyes Cody being Italian which I guess was apparently true but uh, yeah right uh, yeah it's it, to me I was like it's it's funny but like I think I could only take so many uh, silly mafia scenes before I was just like alright like this it, the, especially the fact that that the plan kind of went nowhere and uh, I don't know I mean I know that was the point but I, I in in lieu of like having no least favorite scene because I fucking love this episode right. I would say that one right um, Favorite scene, I would have to say, oh God, man, it's it's hard, but I think um it's a it's a combination of Janice's last therapy scene leading into her breakup, because <laughs> the last therapy scene that happens is um is Janice tells, you know, the therapist that, yeah, I, I'm interested in this guy, Bobby. Yeah, he works for my brother, but it's not like that. And she goes, okay, well, back to Ralphie. You know, what you need to do is to, you know, come at him honestly with the care and compassion that you're famous for. <laughs> and then, like, to me, <laughs> the, the next scene between them is... <laughs> It's Janice trying to figure out how to break up with Ralphie and deciding the best thing to do is to yell at him about nothing and push him down the stairs. Uh, and uh, yeah, I have a I have a clip of Janice and Ralphie breaking up. Janutsky! This is it, hon. This is the last of this stuff I had at Rose. Your shoes. What? 
Didn't I ask you to take your shoes off when you came in this house? I forgot. So that's just it. You fucking forgot! Get out! Get out! My back. My back. I'll kill you, you crazy bitch. I'll kill you, you bitch. You crazy cut! Get out! <laughs> just, I mean, talk about having no plan at all and just winging it. You right. know, like I also it, I always think about like the lost art of ADR whenever we play uh, Sopranos clips because mm-hmm. like they're just like just the audio alone is so funny and there's so, and, yeah. and, and like the way they build sound effects and nobody really does that anymore. Like they always it seems like everybody tries to record everything on set. So you get these like muffled kind of shitty sound mixes and yeah. uh, no one does those like layer cake audio editing like they do here. Yeah. R.I.P. Foley artists. Yeah. I'm sure there's still some around. Um, so, yeah, I would say that was my favorite. Will, do you have a favorite scene or a least favorite? Yeah, so the least favorite is the one we talked about. I think the, the whole Iron Eyes Cody uh, plot line doesn't quite land her, but I think it does actually like pay off pretty fun. I mean, it, it pays off because I think the, the whole joke of it is that like no one gives a shit or right. or cares in the first place. And comparing but it I, to I James Caan like, not being Italian, yeah. I thought and was also, pretty I, funny. I love the James Caan moment because in that in that scene, <laughs> I, it's, yeah. it's, it's, I swear to God, like you can kind of see in Sills behind yes. his eyes that he didn't know James Caan. <laughs> yes, <Jewish>. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I completely that, that he agree. He is actually like quite crestfallen and yeah, taken yeah. aback and that Sonny he has Corleone to pretend like isn't it's actually <laughs> Sicilian. He has to pretend that it's not not a big deal to him in the moment. You can crushing him to to find that out. You can tell he's suppressing it so hard. Yeah, Um, but yeah, like I think my favorite scene is you know I think the one we already talked about the uh, the uh, the we're so wacky sex scene between Ralph and (laughs) Ralphie and Janice. Just the line we're so wacky like like that that to me is the best moment of the show. But um, actually. There is a, a like a strange. I have like a very like just sort of like minor personal connection to this episode because the um, the actor who plays the uh, the uh, the CEO of the Mohonk uh, Reservation Casino yeah. is actually was the brother of my high school advisor. <laughs> Really? And I just remember like being really like impressed that her brother was the guy who tries to take Nicolas Cage's rabbit in Con Air. <laughs> but I, I also love that character too because it's like it's just another very like very venomous assault on these kind of like you know identity group like fucking grifters. Where they're mm-hmm. just like he's like you know you don't really look Native American. He's like well yes actually I've uh, I've passed as white for most of my life, but I had a, a racial awakening when it turned out that I had like I could access like hundreds of millions of dollars <laughs> through this casino. He's like, yeah, the, the Elizabeth Warren character in this episode, right? Yeah, straight up, he's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, yeah. yeah. He's like, I, had a, I had a racial awakening, is what he said when I discovered by Mohonk blood. He yeah. probably by contributed. That he means like a great grandmother was like half yeah. Mohonk. He Which probably, is so crazy. He probably yeah. contributed an episode, uh, an uh, recipe to powwow, chow chow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that is that's pretty great. I I I even thought like as on the nose as Chief Doug Smith is, <laughs> it it still was like it was still very funny. And there's also this moment again, Michael Imperioli writing where he said, it's okay. I had some business in Manhattan and Artie goes, "Uh Oh, not again. (laughs) 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 Just like, just a fucking great joke. Um, yeah, yeah. That's pretty wonderful. Uh, yeah. And all in all, you know, I would say, uh, this episode, I don't know, solid B plus. 
Yeah, yeah, very, this the solidest B plus, I think. Mm-hmm. Will, if you had to rate the episode between, uh, let's say, B plus and B plus, what would you rate this episode? God, I mean, shit, I gotta go B plus. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, so. I think we're, solid yeah, B we're plus. unanimous. You were. This is a solid B plus episode. Very, very good. Um, all right. Well, that is the episode. Uh, Will, thanks so much for for coming on. Uh, pod yourself a gun and podding with us. My pleasure. It is a joy always to talk about the the Sopranos, a show that you know. Honestly, like I was, I was just thinking about last week as something that like is one of the rare examples of something that like I not just like as much as I did when I first saw it on TV, but in fact adore it even more with every time I I, I return to it. I mean, it it is one yeah. of the real great. American television shows and I don't think it has been you know the tops before or since then and it's sort of novelistic approach to the American life I mean it's uh, immensely rewarding and I think doesn't get enough credit for being one of the funniest shows of all time too yeah yeah completely agree it is like uh whenever someone mentions it as a like uh just a great prestige tv show drama I'm always just like you know, you're missing. I, I can never tell whether that, or not people are missing it. They call it that because I feel like people can't bear to think of a comedy as something that's uh, like good and worthy of like artistic merit in quite the same way. So it's like they take a really funny show and they call it a drama just because mm-hmm. it's very good. I mean, to be fair, it makes it funnier, the fact that people think it's a drama. But, like, this is a perfect example of an episode that I think is, like, it's, like, this is a perfect dumb guy episode. It's for, like, the dumb guy viewers, and I'm a dumb guy, and I love it, you know? Like, (laughs) like some people need, like, a a bunch of, like, serious drama. They need, like... you know, five episodes where Melfi gets sexually assaulted and deals with it. But I'm yeah. like, I, I, I'll i deal with some fucking racist jokes and a pun. I like this one because uh, it it turns all of the therapy scenes into a joke, which I, 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 I think yes. the therapy scenes are best when they're not, uh, you know, taken as like a serious look yeah. into the character's psyche. Yeah, completely. Completely. Uh, Will, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, at Will Meneker, and you can uh, check out the podcast, uh, Chapo Trap House, wherever uh, fine podcasts are sold. All right. Check out Chapo Trap House on the podcast stores that exist everywhere. Um, All right. Frogcast at gmail.com for all your questions, comments, and concerns. Patreon.com slash frogcast for uh, all of our bonus episodes where we talk about, uh, you know, fucking everything. Not just Sopranos. We talk about movies and other television shows. And now, real quick, Vince, are you ready Uh for our $8 patrons? You got to give Mafia a name. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) All right. This is the Pod Yourself a Shoutout section of the end of the podcast all right our new eight dollar donors are doug forster oh doug yo dougie the toucan all right that's Mm -hmm. i don't see how that works but that's good that's fine that's good all right uh and then we have ryan oh yeah ryan the beak i i think you're it feels like you're phoning this in (laughs) what are you talking about those are all uh, 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 per- all right. Fine, that perfectly works. cromulent nicknames. Perfectly cromulent, and finally, uh, Tom. Oh, uh, Tom. That's uh, that's uh, Asian Tom. A- <laughs> I, I hope to God he's Asian, so it works. No, uh, well, or I it's guess a, it's an I inside joke. Not. It's an inside <laughs> joke from way back. 
Yeah, you and Tom go way, way back. Yeah. All right, so once again, patreon.com slash broadcast for uh, all the bonus episodes. $8 tier gets yourself a shout-out where Vince does his best to give you a mafia nickname. Vince, what's the Google voice number? 415-275-0030. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, don't stop believing. Don't stop. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.